Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Right? So Hosea 14, chapter 14, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bowls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. Say that with me. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. This is a postscript here. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we just ask that you would bless the rest of our time here together. In Jesus' name, amen. In Ephesians 3 and verse 18, the apostle Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus that they would understand the width and the length and the breadth and the height of God's love. I look at that prayer, and that's an amazing prayer because I think if there's anything we need to understand more about God today than any other one of his characteristics is his love. And that's one of the hardest things I had a problem accepting was his love for me, especially in light of what my life was before coming to Christ. I mean, really, can any of us comprehend the love of God? Can we really understand the depth and the length and the height and the width of God's love? Think about your life before Jesus. Think of these graduates here today and what their lives were, many of them, before Christ. I mean, Caleb will probably give you his testimony one day. Here's a man, a young man, 21 years old, who graduates the School of Discipleship, but he went through New Creations Men's Home, and he has been serving the Lord ever since. He, he's just been so committed to the Lord. And Caleb is a learner, and he's a pursuer of the Lord God. He works for Youth for Christ. He's an intern for them, and he, it's amazing the compliments they give him. But he's on the high school campuses now ministering to kids and high school kids. And Caleb 
He doesn't look like it, but he was a gun runner and he smuggled fentanyl and he was in a jail in San Diego and his mother, one of his relatives happens, I love that, happens to be in a prayer meeting in Temecula where one of our New Creations graduates happened to be in that prayer meeting in Temecula when they shared the prayer request about Caleb and Lyle stands up and says, I know where he can go in New Creations and God intervened in there. He ends up in New Creations. Why is that? Can we really understand the love of God? Can we really understand the love of God? We sometimes become so self-righteous after we get saved, and for a while we forget how much God really loved us, how lost we really were, and how the love of God intervened in our lives through Jesus Christ. And I think that's what's so encouraging about chapter 14. It gives us a little bit of a glimpse of God's love. I mean, again, Again, who can really comprehend fully and wrap our minds around the love of God? But chapter 14 of Hosea gives us a glimpse of that love, especially if you've been following in the book of Hosea from chapter 4 on. We've seen nothing but chapters on judgment, 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 judgment because of the sin of God's people. It's not that they were not deserving of the judgment, they absolutely were, but in the midst of God's judgment, he had much more vision for them than even they did at that time. I can only imagine that after they were taken away captive to Assyria due to their own decisions and the consequences of their sin, that they would find in Hosea this 14th chapter that God is not done with us. God is not through with us. God still has a vision for us, a future for us. And, and I want you to know that today. I want you to know that wherever you're sitting today, I don't care how much you've fallen under the disciplinary hand of God, the mere fact that you're here today proves that God still loves you, amen? God still loves you. So I think we need to look at this. We need to see this. We need to understand a little bit about this 14th chapter for you and me to find hope because one thing we've got, and people are gonna be out there, they're gonna tell you how hopeless things are. My faith is not in the United States. My faith is in the God who lives today, the true and living God. That's where my faith is. And I want you to know something, that no matter what happens, God's love is more powerful than the power of your sin. He still will work in you. He still will work through you. My favorite call is this. You can call, some people call it altar calls. I call it a Walter call. It is a call of repentance. Just repent and open up the windows of God's blessings again. That's his key. You just repent. You turn back to him. So wherever you're sitting today, know this. Because I look at Israel, and if I was God, Thank God I'm not God, but if I was, I would say, gosh, how do you continue with this people? How do you continue with this people? Because whenever God's people returns, God's response is restoration. When you return to the Lord, and that's really the title of my message is returning in restoration of this 14th chapter, because that's what this is 
all about. And really, the first three verses, they're dealing with the path of restoration. I've divided it into three parts, this chapter. The verse four is dealing with the promise of restoration. What I love about Hosea, he's so good with word pictures, is now you're going to see the picture of restoration in verses five to eight. But first we look at the path of restoration, verses one to three. The path of restoration, first and foremost, requires an acknowledgement of sin. It requires an acknowledgement of sin. Look at verse one, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. See, we live in a day where we blame everything else for our problems. We want to blame everything. We want to blame everybody. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now, we must acknowledge sin in two ways. Number one, sin is sin. We need to call it what it is. And number two, we need to see the seriousness of sin. So when we acknowledge sin and the seriousness of it, then you are on your way to restoration. And it's getting more difficult because the culture today wants to actually dumb down sin. We actually take words and we turn them around, right? They don't have the sting that they used to have, right? So like when we say adultery, we say, oh, they're having an affair. When we talk about fornication and immorality we call it living together that sounds kind of nice doesn't it living together oh they're living together but that's not what the bible calls it in fact the bible says in hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 the marriage bed is undefiled but god will judge adulterers and the immoral and so when the church fails to call people to move out and to rectify that there's a seriousness to that. If we say that we acknowledge sin and sin is a very serious thing before God, then we need to call it what it is, amen? And the word iniquity, by the way, highlights the seriousness of sin. That is in all of us. Iniquity dwells within us. Like Paul said in Romans 7, that nothing good dwells within me. The only time that happens is when you repent, turn to Christ, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your, your life. Now something good dwells within you. Amen? So Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, not for our mistakes, not for our failures, not for our downfalls, for our iniquities, for our sin. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. And the consequences they're facing right now are a result of their actions. When we look at Israel and we see the judgment of God that's falling upon them, it was their own iniquity that brought them to that place. But the good news is God won't leave you in that place. God has a way of bringing his people back. So the first thing, it requires acknowledgement of sin, verse 1, but it also requires a turning from sin. Look at verse 3. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. So they're going to say no more. They trusted in foreign alliances, rather than God. That was one of Israel's downfalls. They began to trust in other nations to bail them out 
to be their friends, ungodly nations that they were yoking with, who did nothing but lead them further down the road of destruction. I will ride horses no more. In other words, I'm throwing it all up, God. I'm all yours. We're done with this. And the two things that we see there is the specific sins that they were guilty of. They not only were guilty of not trusting God and rather trusting in other nations and foreign alliances, but they also were making idols out of their hands. And I think that's important because we need to be specific about our sin. We need to name it for what it is, and that's what they're doing there. Too often we pray in generalities, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Well, what is that? Lord, forgive our country for their sin. May they repent. Repent of what? What is the sin? And we cannot not name our sin. If, if greed is our sin, if covetousness or greed, which is one of the dominant sins in the Western world, then we must repudiate that sin. We must repudiate that. We can't continue to buy fancier cars and live in bigger houses and just forget about the plan of God and the house of God. That's why in Haggai they fell under judgment was because they all of a sudden forgot about God's house, quit building the temple, and then they began to build their own paneled houses. If our specific sin is immorality, sexual immorality, then we need to turn from that specific sin. And if we don't name those sins and if we don't turn from those specific sins, then our worship only becomes hypocrisy before God. So when you confess your sin to God, confess what it is. It's more than, Lord, forgive me of my sin. You know, we take 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins when we confess to him. But what is that sin? And that's what we need to be better at. We need to specifically, if it's gossip, then call it what it is. If it's greed, call it what it is. And by the way, the only way to repudiate greed and covetousness is to give. Maybe you need to give some of your stuff away. And that's the antidote to greed is giving. People, Lord, deliver me from this greed, but you hang on to your possessions so tightly. It's like saying, Lord, heal me of my lung cancer, but I continue to smoke. So name the sin, the specific sins in your life. We have to do that. No different than Israel was called to the carpet for their sin. But it also, and this is not in your notes, but I want you to write this down. It also requires an appealing to God's grace. You must appeal to God's grace. Look at verse 2. Take with you words. He's going to tell them what to say. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. So the appeal is to God's grace. It isn't just a matter of acknowledging your sin and turning from your sin. If God's grace does not intervene in your life because it's God who grants grace, he gets all the glory for our salvation. You can't just say, man, I'm saved today because I repented of my sins. No, you're saved today because God allowed you. His grace allowed you. In Hebrews, it says that he didn't even grant Esau repentance, and he wept for it with tears. And so there's nothing in us that can come to God and say, Lord, I deserve this. 
Lord, I deserve this. I'm really not a bad person. I'm not like that guy down the road. Not like those guys in new creation. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was there. Man, I told him at Teen Challenge before I preached, I said, man, I know exactly where you guys were. I went into Teen Challenge strung out on heroin, and God turned me into a pastor. But it took a sense of humility, realizing that God was the one that was going to do that. So we can never, ever say to God, I've got something to bring to the table. In fact, some people try and barter with God on that, right? They try and barter on That isn't grace. Grace is totally freely given from God. Listen to Luke chapter 18 and verses 9 to 13. And you guys have heard this before. Chris has quoted it before. I've quoted it before. But listen to this. The two guys praying and Jesus talking. He also told this parable. Now, how many know that parable was an earthly story to really reveal some theological truths? And that's why Jesus told stories to try and drive home the point to people. This parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, <laughs> extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> Here's Jesus calling tax collectors, huh? Matthew, follow me. God says, I got no room for the self-righteous. takes humility. Because those who are tax collectors, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and all that, they realize the depth of their sin. And he says, I fast twice a week. In other words, God, I deserve you to answer my prayer. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the guy who's justified. So it requires an appeal to God's grace, which makes it that much more magnificent, that there's nothing we can do. Isn't that beautiful? Because if there was something we had to do to earn it, man. The promise of restoration is in verse 4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger is turned from them. Now, the promise of this encouragement right here, it would provide hope for the people of God at their darkest time. Understand that, that you've got to understand the historical context, that Israel is getting ready to go into captivity, if not already. Some actually believe that they were in captivity already. I happen to be on the other side. Either way, they're going into captivity. And listen to those words, I will heal their apostasy. Now, when it comes to the promise of restoration, God puts a promise out there for everybody. Number one, the promise involves spiritual healing. That's first and foremost our problem. He says, I will heal their apostasy. And apostasy is basically a departure from God. It's departing from the things of the Lord. It's departing from his word. It's disobedience to God. Anybody ever been there before? I'm not talking about the unbelieving apostates in the New Testament. I am talking about 
the backslidden Christian, the backslidden person of God who has departed from his ways. The good news is God says, I will heal their apostasy. Now, no, that's a promise. He didn't say I healed their apostasy. He says, I will heal their apostasy. And I think it's significant when you see the I wills from God in the Bible that you take those I wills and you take ownership of them because our entire walk is by faith with God. And so you take those promises of scripture and you take ownership of them. And God always leaves that chasm for faith, the invisible bridge that you have to walk across that you can't see. We can see so much but the ones that God really heals and the ones that God really uses are those who are willing to walk across that invisible bridge called faith. So when we see those I wills, it takes God. God says, I will, I will, I will. Now, this is important because it takes God to heal it. It's like what Jesus told the religious leaders in John chapter 12. Listen to what he says. He quotes Isaiah actually in verses 37 to 40 of John 12. He quotes the prophet Isaiah out of Isaiah 6. He says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Now think about the signs that Jesus did, like heal a leper. That was unheard of. Even though that they had an order and there was a protocol that if you got healed as a leper, you go to the priest, you show yourself they were the health inspectors of the day, they would declare you clean, and then you can go back into society. The problem was nobody was getting healed of lepers. Jesus comes along and he does the impossible and starts healing lepers. And he's doing all these signs, but they still did not believe in him. I got news for you. If you're witnessing to somebody and they tell you, man, if God does a miracle, I'll believe. No, they won't. Takes an act of God to remove those blinders, the Holy Spirit. They can see the parting of the Red Sea. They can see water from the rock. They can walk out their house one day and hear a voice and turn, whoa, there's a burning bush. God's voice going through. Signs and miracles. They confirm God's word, but people don't get saved by it. They get saved through the work of the Holy Spirit, always been. So, so here they are, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I'm telling you, unless the Lord intervenes, ain't nobody getting saved. And I don't know how that dynamic fully works with, you know, believing and blinders falling off and everything else. I know there were times I wanted to believe. There were more like 911 calls. Man, I'm in the middle of the day and, you know, you're going through withdrawals already. Your snot starts to run down your nose. And you know, if you don't get dope by the next morning, you're going to be sicker than a dog. And you're like, man, God, help me. But I never believed. There was something in my heart that just wasn't there. And God could have showed himself at that time by a burning bush, a parting of the Pacific Ocean or whatever. 
My heart just wasn't there. It took an act of God to reveal that to me and to open up my eyes. That's why it takes the pressure off evangelism. You're witnessing to somebody, it ain't your fault. The word of God is the word of God. You got to pray for them. Lord, open up those blind eyes. It says in Corinthians that the God of this age has blinded their hearts. Only God can do that. It also involves unconditional love. Look at, I love this. I will heal their apostasy, but it doesn't stop there. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned from them. I don't know if many of you understand this theological word. Paul uses it in Romans 3. It's also used in 1 John 4, but the theological word is propitiation. Propitiation is another term involved in our salvation but propitiation has to do with turning the anger away so when jesus hung on the cross and received the wrath of god for our sin that anger was turned away god's no longer angry with you thanks for tuning in for love live lead the broadcast ministry of christ community church in imperial valley christ community church has campuses in el centro calexico and brawley with services in english and in spanish your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.